So I don't know if you've seen that. That's going around the um, YouTube video section. Somebody passed that on to me. And I thought it was appropriate for Ecclesiastes. Okay? Because in a sense, the author of Ecclesiastes is writing about that 16th second. Okay? Looking back on his life and going, what is the purpose of it all? Is there any meaning in life? And, and his answer is that it's meaningless. If you read the King James, it's vanity. But we've changed, we don't use that word the same way. It's, it's like smoke. It's like vapor. It's like something you can't grab a hold of and hold on to. Um, let me back up just one minute before I get too far in this. Um, how many of you really did your homework? Oh, wow, look at all these type A's. Cool. Okay, if you didn't, if you got bogged down someplace and did not spend time every week for the last five or six weeks, you are forgiven. Okay, please hear this loud and clear. One more time, we'll say it over and over again. What we are doing this year is kind of an experiment. We are looking at various ways to study scripture. Okay, it is not about accomplishing the homework always as much as it is beginning to learn different ways to place ourselves before God that we might walk with him in life, that we might hear his voice. And in one sense, um, probably, I wasn't thinking about saying this, but maybe Ecclesiastes is a good one um, to say this with, if you did your homework, at one point you might have just sat back and went, that was meaningless. Because doing your homework for homework's sake, okay, isn't the point. What we're wanting to do is learn how to walk with God. Okay. Um, One of the, I'm going through kind of a devotional book every now and then, and I was actually sat down on, on Monday and evening and was kind of reading a little bit of that book, and I ran across this quote. Um, it's on the first, let's go to that first slide. Um, that just kind of stopped me for a minute, and I, and I, really, I really liked it. Um, first off, the theme today, remember every day we're, we're kind of, we're going through this book, and we're, we're going through and we're learning how to study the Bible, but what we're really doing, even though we're looking at Ecclesiastes, we're really looking at those big themes that are on the side of our walls in um, the sanctuary, okay? Um, and we're looking at those themes under the heading, under the categories of our mission statement. And right now, you know, we've kind of looked on the fact that we're, you know, we're supposed to be inviting people to Jesus, uh, or we're supposed to be worshiping people. We're in a section right now where we're talking about what it, that we're supposed to become the people that God created us to be, okay? We're supposed to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, Okay, um, but today is about it's all in Jesus. Okay, um, Solomon looked for purpose and looked for meaning and looked for life under the sun, and he discovered that he couldn't find it; that it was all 
in Jesus. Okay? But this quote that I ran across on Monday was this quote that said, very simply, Scripture doesn't talk about people who have found Jesus. It talks about people who walk with Jesus. Okay? Now, we can maybe argue that quote a little bit, okay? But this is what I like about that quote, okay? All too often when I find something, I feel like I've arrived. Okay? Like I can grab hold of it. Like I can control it. Okay? Coming to a relationship with Jesus is not a check-off. Believing in Jesus is not a check-off. Okay, I'm done. Now I can get back onto the rest of life. Okay? Because the rest of life, everything that's under the sun is meaningless. It's vapor. It doesn't last. It doesn't fulfill what it promises. Okay? Our calling at the end of Ecclesiastes is to fear God and obey him. It's to walk with Jesus. Okay? If I were to sum up all of Ecclesiastes... Um, I would basically say that everything that we go after, that our world tells us we have to have, at the end of the day, when we get it, we're at second 15, and we hit the 16th second, and we realize there's an emptiness there, there's a void, we can't hold on to it, it's fleeting. I mean, I don't care what it is. All right? You could have, you know, 70 years of marriage and five kids who are all healthy and great and neat, and eventually you end up on a deathbed. And it's the 16th second. You know? And you can say, well, yeah, but I, I did a great job with my kids. And, and I'm going to sit back and at one moment say, somebody at one of the, things that I was listening to talked about the fact that, here's a question how many of you can name your great great grandfather's first name great great grandfather all right you did yeah I know you probably you know, some of you studied it all okay I mean, I sat there listening. I, I could get back to Herman, but I can't remember who was before Herman, you know, and I really don't understand. You know, I don't know. See? All the things in life. I mean, we work hard. I love what Solomon says. I work hard. I have a bunch of stuff so I can pass on to somebody who's going to blow it. Okay? Who doesn't appreciate it? Making a name for yourself. Because it's fleeting. You can't take it with you. You won't be remembered. Everything under the sun. Okay. It's like vapor. It vanishes. Okay. Um, one of the... Um, People I was listening to said, you know, Ecclesiastes is probably one of the most pessimistic books that you could possibly find. Okay, nothing like opening it up and hearing nothing like meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. Well, thank you very much. It's just what I wanted to hear. Okay, happy new year.
But here's the dynamic. If I live under the sun, it's meaningless. As I got through studying this book, I actually became, began to think, you know, this is probably a great book, okay, um, evangelistically. This is probably a really cool book to sit down and, and read with somebody who doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. You know? And to sit back and say, okay, fine, but do me a favor, respond to what this person says. Okay. Because everything that you're going after, a name for yourself, riches for yourself, pleasures for yourself, even trying to do something like changing the world for good. Okay. Everything that you're going after eventually is like vapor. It doesn't hold water. You can't build a foundation on it. And you wake up in the 16th second. And it's like, now what? And what was that for? And did that really provide what it promised? And the teacher says, no. Um, One of the things um, that I am find myself constantly going back to these days is that third chapter of um, of Genesis. That chapter where the servant goes to Eve and says, are you not allowed to eat of the trees in the garden? And God has given Eve every Adam and Eve, every tree in the garden to eat from. All you need is here. Including the tree of life. It's all there. But God says, do me one favor, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, And the serpent goes to Eve and says, ha ha, God's holding back. eat it. Then you will be like God. Then you will know. Then you'll be able to control life. Then you will be able to live life as if you're God, as if you know it all. You're going to be in complete control. And they ate. And the reality was they started to try and live out of their own knowledge, out of their own abilities, They tried to think for themselves. See? They tried to see, ah, this is what it's about. Oh, this is how you live. And the result was just the opposite from what they had intended. And and this Ecclesiastes is set up, okay, for us all to read it as if Solomon wrote it, and he might have, okay? Um, you need to understand that some people question whether or not Solomon wrote it. And in, in all honesty, I really don't care, okay, whether or not he wrote it or not wrote it because he's not even mentioned in the book. So I can tell you Solomon didn't write it and I'm not being unbiblical, okay, because his name's not even in the book, okay. Um, in, whoever wrote it almost sets it up as if 
Solomon wrote it, okay? Um, if you look real hard at the structure of, of Ecclesiastes, you know, the first about 12 verses are narrated. And then on chapter 1, verse 12, it says, and I the teacher, I the philosopher, you know, um, this is what I discovered. And then you go through all of this personal I, I, I telling of the book of Ecclesiastes. I did this, I did this, I did this. And then the very last three verses of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 go back to that narrated third person. You know? And so some people think that, well, maybe what you really have is somebody who's compiled all the teachings of Solomon. I don't know that. I don't know. Okay? Solomon was very wise and he did all those things that are kind of there. But the Hebrew, even in, in Ecclesiastes, is, is kind of a later Hebrew, okay? It's kind of like a later version, like, you know, it's not like the King James Version, it's like the message version, if that makes sense, okay? I mean, it's like, and, and so some people go, hey, you know, this is just, I don't know, maybe it's just because it got translated later. I really don't know. What I do know is, um, and and there's, there's another one that, that's very interesting also um, in, in this book of Ecclesiastes. The, the name for God that is used in Ecclesiastes is Elohim, the creator God, the almighty God, versus Yahweh, the covenant relational God. Okay? And, and so some people would say, you know, if Solomon really wrote this, he, he should have been using the name Yahweh rather than the name Elohim. I don't know, okay? Um, this is what, what I do know, is that even before Jesus, be, Ecclesiastes was part of the Hebrew or, or the Old Testament canon, okay? It was part of the books that Jesus read that he took a scripture from God, okay? And that if if anything, when people were finally putting all of scripture together in, in the after, about two or three hundred years after Jesus, if anything, you know, they would have talked about why to take it out of the canon, and they couldn't find a good reason to take it out of the canon because what it did is it taught all the lessons that the rest of the Bible teaches. Eugene Peterson basically says that the book of Ecclesiastes okay, might not mention God a lot, might not tell us about how we're supposed to live out our relationship with God, but Eugene says, the other 65 books of the Bible tells us that. What Ecclesiastes tells us is why we need God. See? Ecclesiastes calls us to take a hard look at our life and what we're living for and what we're trying to accomplish and where we're spending our time and our energies and, and what we're p- having as a foundation on our life. And it's saying, is this really working? And the answer is that under the sun, everything is meaningless. And so if you want to find life, if you want to find purpose and meaning, then you need not look under the sun. You need to look above the sun. 
You need to look to the one who created it all in the first place, who knows all in the first place. You need to look to Jesus. But here's the, here's the problem there. I don't know about you, but I sometimes look to Jesus to find all of my answers so I can be in control again. Okay. I sometimes look to Jesus to know everything so that I again can have from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and be God myself. And Jesus says, you're not going to know everything. It's not about you finding me. It's about you learning how to walk with me. Okay. Um, let's go to the, the second slide. Um, one of the, um, I think this is one. Mm, yeah, let's go to the next one. Um, so there, there's a couple ways to, to outline um, Ecclesiastes. Um, and one of the things I gave you was, was an outline here. Um, this slide's kind of a, a, a decent outline. Um, also, I even had that one. Um, basically, in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, the theme of the book is basically laid out. Okay? Um, chapters two to three, we see God's purposes for life. Okay? And, and, pretty much simply, it's to take life day by day as a gift from God. And then to glorify God in the ordinary things of life. Okay. I don't know about you, but that's not totally how I want to live my life. But I think it's because somebody under the sun has told me I'm supposed to live it differently. Um, I woke up this morning to an email about the death of a of a 17-year-old. Okay. I get the leaders group and I hear about a car accident that somebody was in. Um, I'm doing a a service on Saturday for a 65-year-old. Okay. We don't know anything about how long life is going to last. Okay. Um, I was, I was sharing with, with leaders earlier, um, and this is kind of funny because I did this and then I started listening to something on Ecclesiastes and it kind of like threw it in my face. Um, I got this email yesterday because, you know, it's January and you get all these financial emails, right? And so one of the emails was from my financial institution saying, so this is, you know, your year-end report, you know, and I'm looking at, you know, my retirement savings and going, oh, okay. And then I started listening to somebody talk about Ecclesiastes and our looking to money as a source of security and being reminded how fleeting money is. You know. Sharing in, in, in leaders this morning, that, you know, when you are raised, you know, if we were to go back a couple hundred years and we were all living on farms and you'd plant food and you'd weed and you'd till the ground and you did everything that you were supposed to do and you worked hard for the food that doesn't mean you're going to have a harvest because you can't control the rain and you can't control the wind and you can't control the bugs that come through and the locusts that come or don't come through. And you might or might not get a harvest even though you worked hard. 
See, a lot of times I think we buy the lies that Solomon researched out or that the teacher researched out. If I work hard, I'll have what I want. If I live for pleasure, I'll have what I want. Okay? If I know everything, I'll be able to control everything. And the bottom line is that I need to learn to live to accept every moment, every day, as a gift from God every situation as an opportunity that he places before me and calls me to step into with him. Not even getting why I'm stepping into it sometimes, but stepping into it with him, asking him no matter what the circumstances, God, I'm available to you here. You know what's going on. I'm your servant. And step in and enjoy it and be a part of it and know that God is using you and that God is going to bless through you. But don't always try to figure it out or understand it. And that's good times and bad times. Trusting that God, as Romans 8.28 says, is working all things to his glorious purposes. Okay. God has a purpose for life. There's a time for everything. We don't, are never going to understand what that purpose is, but we're called to step into it. That doesn't mean we don't toil. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. But it also means at the end of the day that all the results, everything that happens, all the opportunities that come or don't come are all a gift from God. And I'm to walk in with him. Verses four and, or chapters 4 and 5 talks about how God gives riches according to his will. Quietness of the spirit is to be sought. There's blessing and friendships. We're to be content with what God gives us. 7 to 10, God's wisdom can guide us through life. Practical wisdom invites, involves the fear of God and is the guide for life. Since death is universal, use life energetically while its power remains. I can still remember, and I, and I don't know why this stood out, but when I was in middle school, at the church that I was going to, somebody started questioning the use of the fear of God. And we started talking about God doesn't want us to fear him. And I've always wrestled with that word. I mean, it's probably another word like vanity in a way. In a sense, we use it sometimes in the wrong way. But the fear of God is to see his majesty. It's to see his glory. It's to see his otherness, his holiness. It's to understand that he's the all-powerful, almighty one. And it's to live in awe of him. He's a God that loves me, that loves you. And comes and says, more than anything, I want you to know that in this world that is meaningless, in this world where people will stab you in the back, in the world where there is nothing for certain, 
you can be certain that at the end of the day, in the 16th second, you will have my love and that nothing can change that. And that I can take your life and make it meaningful if you'll just trust me and then live in awe of me and to live in dependence on me. And so chapters 11 and 12 say that we're to live by faith. We're to remember that life will end. We're to fear God and obey him. Um, let's go to the fifth slide for a minute. One, one of the things in, in reading a bunch of sermons by Tim Keller, um, I don't know if you guys, can you guys even read that? Maybe not, huh? He talks about the fact that, um, we, that there's all these different philosophical systems out there that try and find meaning for suffering, okay? Um, and that, you know, some systems basically just want to deny suffering. Some, the Stoics kind of calls to endure suffering. Dualism basically says that we um, live in a world where good and evil are at war with each other and basically we need to forgive God for suffering. Um, you know, but that we live in a battle of good and evil, it, it basically is one that says maybe Satan wins, maybe God wins. Um, it's Star Wars all the way. Okay, it's dualism. Totally. Um, existentialism um, basically um, defies it. Basically says, I don't really care what the world, if they're suffering or not, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it better. Okay. Um, hedonists avoid it. Um, Romanists, romantics um, kind of go, you know, good begets good, bad begets bad. So if things are going bad in my life, then obviously I haven't been good. Um, I need to change. Um, the political answer to suffering is to blame somebody else. <clears throat> Jiminy crickets, that sounds okay. Um, the masochistic, welcome it. Basically says, you know, we're going to learn through suffering. We're going to talk about that next week. Um, basically, every one of these denies the existence of God. And what Solomon says, if you try and find answers in the world systems at any level, it's not going to work. One of the things that Tim Keller in one of his sermons is he writes this. He says, imagine somebody comes up to the philosophy professor, the teacher, and says, you know, the real question of confronting human beings today is will the governments of the earth do something about the disastrous environmental catastrophe our human society is about to afflict upon itself? Because we're destroying the environment. Unless we do something, the earth might become uninhabitable and civilization itself might be in jeopardy. What would the philosophy professor say? He would say, you're kidding, right? The real question couldn't be whether or not we can save civilization. Civilization is doomed. Inevitably, the planet dies. Solar systems die, and the universe goes on. Planets come and go. What you're really asking is if by our stupidity, we might hurry up the inevitable extinction of our civilization a bit. If you're on a ship and it's going down and everybody's about to be drowned and there's 
No hope of being saved. No hope of rescue. And the captain comes running out and says, Oh my word, the boiler's about to explode. And if it explodes, we'll probably sink two minutes sooner. What do you say? What a tragedy? No, what do you say? If someone says, let's get in there. We have to stop the boiler from exploding. It'll be the end of the ship. You say, what do you mean? It's going to be the end of the ship. The ship's on its way down anyway. How much more of a tragedy can it be? The philosopher says, the teacher says, the real question of the age is not whether we can do something to stop a nuclear holocaust. The real question of the age is not whether or not we can do something to stop environmental disaster. The real question of the age is not life under the sun. Is not, is life under the sun all there is? Because if it is all there is, there's nothing you do, nothing that you do that will mean anything. Whether you live a life of violence and oppression and racism and genocide, or whether or not you have a life of humanitarian concern and compassion, in the end will mean nothing. It will make no difference. Everything will be over. There is no gain. Everything will end in nothing. Futility, futility. All is futile if life under the sun is all there is. But the answer... The glorious answer is found in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. John 1 is also cast in the philosophical framework. In John 1, John tells us the beginning, that in the beginning was the Lagos, and he was with God, and he came to earth, and, he be, and we beheld his glory. What is the Lagos? I know your English translations. It says, in the beginning was the word. Well, what's the Lagos? Here's what the Lagos is. The Greek philosophers used to get together and say, if we could just find the Lagos of life, then things will be fine. The Lagos meant the reason for life. In the beginning was the word. The Lagos, the reason for life. We know him as Jesus. Does that mean that we're not to do good? Does that mean that we're not to hold back the destruction of our environment? Does that mean that I'm not to stand against oppression? No. That's not what Keller is wanting to say. Because all of those things we are called to do but we're not called to do them in order to find answers that will make life worth living. Because they won't hold those answers. We're called to do those things because through them, as we allow our civilizations to continue to go on as we uh, show people what love and compassion is all about, then more and more people find that real meaning is in Jesus. We're called to spread his kingdom. We do that by being present to what God has called us to this day. And then letting him put all the puzzle pieces together. 
if I f- try to figure out life under the sun, there is no value system. Because if life's all about my own pleasure, then I don't care if I step on you. It's all about me. See? But Solomon tells us that God has put eternity in our heart. He's given us that sense inside of us that there's more. But to find that means that we learn to walk with Jesus. Trusting that in the 16th second he will show us what our life was all about. But if we haven't reached that 16th second yet, we're called to trust him. To take life this day and the things that come my way this day as his gift that I am called to walk in with him. Trusting that he will work all things together for his glorious end. My question is, what are you building the foundation of your life on? Is it Jesus? Or is it something that won't last to the 16th second? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you even if this is written by Solomon for a man like Solomon who did everything and lived with regret so that we might not. Thank you that even if at the 15th second we have regrets, that that's what the cross was all about. That you are even taking our regrets and are able to make things new. Thank you that there is more to life than what we see and what we know and what we understand. May we this day be thankful for what you give us today and may we walk into it to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good morning.